Linux out loud is firing up our microphones, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expand upon. We keep the banner friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we are spouting off about Nate running Arch, by the way. Let's get into this episode. <laughs> Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today is the photographer extraordinaire of Mastodon for Linux Out Loud and the entire Tux Digital Network, Wendy, and the person with a totally unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, though that might be changing, Nate. What's going on, guys? Great intro. So glad you're back. Yes, that was fantastic. Although I already miss Bill. <laughs> Thank you, Bill, for filling in for the last couple of weeks while I have been away. I much appreciate it. Awesome content. I loved hearing the dynamic between y'all. It was definitely interesting to hear. It's always fun seeing somebody poke fun at Nate besides me. And Bill did a really good job keeping that banter going. He did very much. And I definitely appreciated his uh, different takes and perspectives on stuff that he brought to the show. So it was really cool to have him on. Yeah, he had a lot of zingers. Who would have thought that Bill had so many zingers just waiting right there to fire off? All you have to do is hang out with him and some of the open SUSE chats and even like post-show behind the scenes stuff for the recording of DL or Twill. And yeah, he definitely has some awesome zingers. So he was a great person to fill in while Matt was gone. <laughs> <laughs> you make it sound like I'm such a sarcastic person towards Nate. I don't know why. Oh, wait. I guess there was sarcasm really? right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who knows? All over the place. <laughs> so Wendy, what have you been up to while I've been on my sabbatical unwillingly? I actually got to join episode 286 of Destination Linux. Okay, I didn't actually join live. And part of that is because my internet is still horrible and I wasn't around that weekend. So I recorded a couple little stints for the show. And if you've watched it, of course, Michael and Ryan are giving me crap like the tape on my shoulder is MMA tape. Uh, it wasn't, though I do enjoy lifting. It has nothing to do with that. Part of it is the way I was sleeping and I'd had a fall like a while ago and my collarbone came out and then I didn't go put it back in. And anybody that's had a joint out of place once it's out, if you don't go get it fixed really soon, then the muscles kind of readapt and everything's tight. And so I've had a hard time keeping my collarbone in. It hurts when it's out. It hurts when he puts it back in and then it hurts after it's back in because everything's trying to go back to where it's supposed to be. And so I went and saw my chiropractor on Thursday, the day I recorded those bits, and he taped up my shoulder. So it has nothing to do with MMA and everything to do with my collarbone being a pain in the butt. But... Because I wasn't home that following weekend, I spent the weekend with that tape on my shoulder and we were out in the sun. It was Magneto's family reunion and we were running around doing all kinds of things. And after the first day, I'd noticed that I've gotten like a touch of a sunburn and definitely more of a tan. And by the end of the three days, when I'd finally taken the tape off, because we'd hit day four, the tape's supposed to last up to five days and it was peeling really bad in places. So I went ahead and removed it on Sunday on our way home and I have the most funky tan lines on my right shoulder. Oh my goodness. I have shared a picture of it on Mastodon. So there's both a link to the episode of DL that I joined in where we get to talk about hardware. It's essentially a DL version of Hardware Addicts in many ways. Really, really fun. Mm -hmm. And then a link to that Mastodon post where there's a picture of my super funky tan that'll last me probably the rest of the summer. <laughs> well, it's amazing actually how quickly tans seem to fade. Maybe that's just me. But I thought it looked pretty cool between the tape and then after the tape. Kind of makes you look a little bit bionic. It's like Cyber Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. If I'm consistently out in the sun, then it'll last. So I'll still be multicolored from the places where I did have the table get darker, but the other place it's already darker is getting consistently. Yeah. So I can just see this lasting the rest of the summer. But of course, it matches the funky tan I've got on my feet. I think I've showed you the one Vibram Five Fingers that I have where the top of it is essentially mesh. And I already mm -hmm. have the tan lines from that to where I've got polka dots on my feet where the sun comes through the little holes. It is what it is. We're doing funky tan to funky tan head to toe. It kind of makes it like part leopard, part Cybertronian or something like that. Yeah, there you go. 
Perfect. Wendy, I guess my question is, does that mean you being sinister will fade with the tan after the summer's over? No. <laughs> no. I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. I guess not. <laughs> okay, so I wouldn't necessarily call myself sinister, though I do have a tendency to give, especially Michael and Ryan, a lot more crap off the show than on the show. But there is a side of me that comes out, and I would say maybe a more playful side, a little bit more inappropriate to podcasting side that comes off the show. I know you guys wouldn't understand that at all. Like, I never do that with you. Never. No. <laughs> right. Completely foreign. I'm pretty sure the last episode I was on, there was no bad match in that. I'm just saying. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure there was. There was a section after Nate was giving you crap where you said, hey, Hey, Wendy, this is going to be a bad mat. You said your thing. But I prefaced that. You did. Yours just come naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they slip out and I catch myself and they have to be cut from the show. Yeah, it does happen. Any parts you have to cut of Matt from the show is usually the best part of the show. They can be incredibly funny. It is such a bummer when I'm like, this is hilarious and I love this, but it can't be in the show. I was just referring to the fact that you have to cut out more of Matt. That's the part I like. <laughs> Stop stealing my material that I use for Michael. Sorry, my bad. I guess that was a bad name. When I troll Michael in Twill or on DL, the entire thing is like, hey, Michael, put your microphone on mute because that's the best part of the show. Oh, the love. Oh, the love. Nate, you've had a really big project that you've been working on for a while. It seems like we're getting just a little bit closer. Are those solar panels almost up? The solar panels should be going in today. There's a crew that's going to install them because there are a lot and they require equipment, time, and experience that I don't have. There comes a time when you have to say, I'll let somebody else do it. And so if somebody else is doing this, they're putting in an array that'll give me like a 10 kilowatt solar power array for my house and a backup battery for the house, basically a giant UPS for the house, which I think is pretty darn cool because it means that when the power does go out, as it did a couple days ago, funny enough, some of the circuits will still have power. So the kids can still play their PlayStation. I can still make things in the kitchen. A lot of life can still carry on without the grid electricity being on. And it's actually surprising how many times electricity does go out or flicker or whatever else. I know this because every time it happens, some of my lights, my smart lights have to be reset. So this will be less that I have to reset in the future. This will also protect my refrigerator. And then I'll have a, a standing deep freeze that'll also protect. So those things will continue to maintain power even when the power goes out. It will not charge my vehicle when the power goes out, but that's okay. I can work on that as a separate solution for another time. But I'm pretty excited. I think this is exciting for me to have finally the backup solution as well as generating electricity for myself and offsetting my electric costs. And, you know, I guess you could say some of the other environmental benefits as well. Those really are secondary. For me, it's more being able to sustain my lifestyle and kind of control my costs long term. The panels are rated for 25 years. I'll either be dead or nearly dead by the time they give out. And the battery, I think, is warranted for 10 years, that it will still do its job for 10 years or something like that. It's supposed to last 10 years anyway. Nate, I'll have to talk to you after the show about some of that stuff because I like costs and all the other stuff, obviously. You know, like Certainly. solar, the conversion efficiency and all that stuff. That kind of stuff is always interesting to try to paw through as far as the information and find out what like that actual rate is and all the other stuff. So definitely want to pick your brain on that. I won't have a lot of those answers for you yet, but I will get those answers for you at some point in time because yes, I will indeed be taking metrics from it there is a way to pipe the information into Home Assistant. Some of the next things I'm going to work on as well so that I can actually monitor my power usage and generation all from Home Assistant. There is an app that Generac has that I can have on my phone or whatever. I have looked and they, I guess the APIs are open, but they recently changed them or something like that. So there isn't a direct tie-in to Home Assistant, in which case I'll just roll my own solution for that. So how did you go about deciding which breakers were going to stay on? So yeah, you're going to be keeping the kitchen up and running. Of course, that's pretty important. Fridges, any freezers. You don't want to lose any food in the case of an extended power outage. But how did you choose some of the other things that were staying on? The circuits I was most concerned about was being able to basically sustain like minimal operation, essentially. I do realize that entertainment is not really a top priority. However, there are those winter days or rainy days when you really can't go outside. And those are the days typically when the power does go out. And so we can still play games together as a family because, of course, the server and everything else is backed up. And then I wanted to make sure that we can eat and prepare food, not lose our food and so forth. So basically, I just prioritized what it is that was most important to me to maintain. And that's what I essentially decided to protect. 
I can add more circuits as I see necessary. I will have to add more storage capacity on doing so. And I don't know how much each of those batteries cost. And each one of those battery cells, like battery modules, is about the size of a double thick pizza box. And they're not that heavy, really, because they're lithium iron phosphate batteries, but they are quite large. And I'm sure they cost a lot per unit. And I'm, I'm going to find out how much they cost more today, just, just to find out, because I would like to protect a few more circuits or, or add a few more circuits. But I have some other thoughts too as to how I can accomplish that same task. It's not a very complicated arrangement necessarily, but it does take some understanding as to how all these components go together and work together for properly backing up and charging the house. Well, Matt, in your absence, you have done some things to your Steam Deck, because apparently you had time to play on your Steam Deck, but you didn't have time to talk with us. Tell us about it. More like I did this yesterday, so <laughs> that's why. Hey, whatever helps you sleep at night, bud. If that's what you want to think to <laughs> for yourself, whatever helps you sleep at night, mate. Anyway, I had the base 64 gig model of the Steam Deck. I was perfectly content with that. I was like, all right, throw a 512 terabyte SD card in it and it's fine. Whatever. Storage it. I really don't care about. One small problem with that. I literally had my entire drive eaten up by the pre-shader caching <laughs> that Steam does. Wow. So, yeah. It's about 43 gigs, I think, on the actual EMMC storage that you have for after SteamOS and all that stuff is installed. Not a fan of getting a low storage space warning and it's like you have 500 megs left. <laughs> I ended up going on eBay and finding a uh, 512-2230 drive for about $55, give or take, after shipping. So not horrible as far as uh, cost because once you factor that cost in with the base model of the Steam Deck, I paid maybe four fifty ish, a little over. All right, keep rubbing it in. <laughs> in fairness, you also got the better case. You also got the edge glass. You got the diffusion glass so that you don't have the reflection of the current one that I have. So I would almost take that. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Oh, the edge glass is glorious. I will say it. exactly. It's way better than my phone. I can actually use my Steam Deck outside. Not that I've been wasting any time sitting outside with my Steam Deck, but let's say I did. Yes, I don't have any glare. Something tells me we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> I ended up getting this drive. I took out the old one. It's a little sketchy when you're actually trying to tear apart the back of the Steam Deck because once you get the eight screws out, which four on the outside and four on the inside, the inside ones are a different size than the outside ones. So if you actually attempt to take this apart, do note that, keep them separated when you do it. Uh, once you get underneath that, it's trying to get the clips off. And the best way I found was like some of the iFixit jigs and stuff or a guitar pick or any of that kind of stuff to get the clips off up by the triggers because that's where they have the best openings to get to it once you get that off you have the heat shield on the back there's like three screws on that then you have one that's underneath a piece of heat sink tape take that off and then you have the drive right there there's a little like heat sink sleeve i guess it would be over the drive they highly recommend because of the way the steam deck is built that you put back on to the new drive and then you just reverse it and put it all back together but it's a little sketch when you're cranking on the back of this fairly thin piece of technology and you're like, eh, I hope I don't break this. <laughs> the biggest thing that I found nice was when you actually have the Steam Deck flip down to get to the screws to the drive on the, once you have the back off, there's not a lot of the angle makes it so the deck doesn't actually move. While there's pressure on the thumbsticks, it's not on the screen. So like the screen's not flat on the surface, but it also that angle doesn't mess with the thumbsticks too much. So you can actually get into the screws without the scratch in the front of the display and all the other stuff. So that was something that like little detail like that as someone who does right to repair stuff a lot. I kind of appreciated that because it's like, oh, hey, I don't have to worry about some of the weird esoteric things like when you repair notebooks and tablets and all the other kind of stuff where it's like, oh, hey, look, there's a giant scratch up the middle of the screen now. I know that iFixit's going to have a lot of replacement parts for it. Do you know if, did you see if any like screens were available? I know iFixit has it listed. I'm not sure if it's available yet for the screen. I also know that the Steam Deck motherboards and like the entire assembly unit for the, the internal is going to be listed on there as well. So they're looking to put it on there as much as possible for the Steam Deck, which I find really, really cool because maybe, just maybe, that means we'll get what the Oya originally kind of promised was mm -hmm. just take out the old board and put the new one in yeah. the same shell. If that's the case, I am all for another Steam Deck. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that I think is pretty great is the fact that Valve 
has decided to make it so you can repair these things, which seems so counter industry standard right now. And I'm really excited just about that fact, because that means that I could keep this thing basically running in perpetuity. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one to a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, you can get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Nate, by the way, you run Arch? No, I don't run Arch. I run Steam OS. Thank you very little. <laughs> this part might interest Wendy more than anything else is like, for me, I just find it interesting that there was this poll that I noticed on the forums that how long will Nate keep Steam OS on the Steam Deck? Ironically, all the choices were too long for most people because <laughs> most people are like 24 hours. <laughs> When that poll was released, he'd already had the Steam Deck for longer than 24 hours, so that wasn't a great option to put on there at the time. Though, frankly, I am still incredibly amazed that he is running Arch still on this. I figured by this point, he would already have OpenSUSE install of it, have all of the bugs and things figured out that he needs to add the additional packages that he'd have to add to it. And he'd use the super awesome OBS software packaging in order to get them on there. I figured, yeah, he'd be rolling 100% OpenSUSE right now. Well, it's funny you say that because I had every intent on putting OpenSUSE on it. I'd play with it for about a week or so, and then I was going to throw OpenSUSE on it and then go from there. But the thing is, the user interface experience is so nice with the Steam Deck, I didn't want to mess it up. Little things like popping on the on-screen keyboard and so forth, it's really slick how you can activate it. And then when you're in the Steam appliance interface, not on the desktop, the different buttons, how they access different core functions. I had no idea if I could get that to work with an OpenSUSE base as cleanly. I'd have to really dig into and understand what configuration files are necessary and everything else. Now, it's not off the table that OpenSUSE won't end up on here eventually, but Valve has done such a great job on SteamOS. I'm kind of at this point, I'm like, wow, this thing is pretty great. I'm looking at it as a gaming system that also can do some desktop functions or some generic desktop type activities. And it does it all really quite well. Do I really want to mess with that? Do I really want to potentially harm my user experience with the Steam Deck because it just works so well. Out of curiosity, how much have you gone into desktop mode? A lot. So I know your biggest hang up with Arch isn't necessarily Arch, it's the way Arch is done basically with Pac-Man and stuff. I, I know that's your biggest gripe with Arch. I'm not gonna lie there, Pac-Man has its issues, every package manager has its various forms of issues and use case issues, etc. Do you think what makes it, at least in this case, SteamOS, which is based on Arch, because I'll be technical, about it. Do you think the fact that it doesn't solely rely on Pac-Man and uses flat pack as its way of installing apps, do you think that makes that more, I don't want to say stomachable for you, but does that make it more palatable to you using like on the desktop end of things? Essentially, yes, because I don't have to worry about the way Arch screws things up because Steam is basically taking care of that. They have like the two systems. So they, when they do updates an A, B, update method so you can always roll it back. Essentially what Android's been doing with the AB partition, but on a right. real Linux system instead of Android. Exactly. So they have that and that's already taken care of automatically. They also are not using the Arch repository from what I understand. It's their own repositories that they pull from Arch. Kind of like Manjaro does, maybe bakes it out a little bit better. They probably 
limit the number of packages that will only run perfectly well for the Steam Deck. And so it's all curated. What package management system they use on the back end, it doesn't really matter to me because I don't have to touch it at all. I don't have to use the gloriously obtuse syntax for updating it. I don't have to worry that I've waited too long to update it because Valve has already worked all that out for the Steam Deck. They've abstracted every bit of what makes Arch terrible away from me. Now, the fact they're using parts of the Arch project to make it work, I mean, I think they probably could have used OpenSUSE. I think it would have been a better base because of all the <laughs> other tools that are there that they would have had to reinvent their own wheel, as well as the open QA system. And then the fact they're using RPM base and so forth would have been better, I think, from a technical perspective. But what they've done is so good, I really don't feel compelled to put OpenSUSE on there at this time. See, and I don't have, of course, obviously, I ran Manjaro, so I don't have the same gripes with Arch or the Arch base that you do, though I do understand that the syntax for Pac-Man is really strange. Yes, it's so much nicer in Fedora or some of the others where it's just, hey, I type install, and that's exactly what it means, install, and some of this more like cryptic getting things to run. But at the same time, it's almost like the way I feel when Ubuntu went GNOME instead of Plasma. I'm like, why would you do that? Plasma is so much more usable and customizable and Ubuntu could still make it look the way that they had Unity going. So yeah, I guess I understand in a way, just not with this project, with the Ubuntu project and the desktop they chose. And speaking of the desktop, the fact they use Plasma (laughs) as a desktop is fantastic. I went in and I installed my OpenSUSE theme that I created. That's out there on the KDE Looks, my OpenSUSE Breeze Dark theme that I basically made. It's an adaptation of Breeze Dark and an OpenSUSE theme that from time past that I really liked. I installed that. So now the menu does have the Geeko Chameleon logo in the corner and it does have that shade of green. So although it's like faux OpenSUSE for me, it at least brings a smile to my face when I do go to the desktop, just seeing that little chameleon there and having the green coloring and so forth. So it's not, I don't want to say like a half measure, it's more like a quarter measure on the desktop, but it makes me happy enough. See, I think that's the interesting thing with with the deck as a whole though, is that it's in this weird position where if you want to do desktop things, I don't really say you really need to know what you're doing like as a Linux user, just like, because everything relies on like Discover and don't get me wrong, I have my issues with Discover as far as (laughs) I meant as an app store, I have my issues with it, but that's more from an aesthetic choice more than anything else or like a usability thing. That's again, I'm the weird one here out of that group. I know you probably dropped into the terminal and installed every flat pack that way because that's just you. But for most users, <laughs> they're not going to do that. But I think they found the right balance of where it's like, oh, if you want to tweak everything, go ahead. I do also think the fact that it's a read-only file system by default helps it. And the fact that when you do install things like flat packs, though, they still stick around and it doesn't have a lot of the issues where if do do things with Pac-Man and Valve updates the system, well, bye-bye all those changes because Valve basically rewrites the ISO every time. So right. hate to break it to you. That's one of those things where it's definitely a unique approach to how to handle a Linux system that I don't think a lot of normal Linux users, you're either going to like it or you're not because we're so used to just be like, oh, we want to change everything. It's this weird balance of it's locked down, but it's not really if you really want to get into things. But they have enough bumpers where that the generic user experience isn't gonna break everything i think that's the right balance there's like ah, oh, just take the bumper off and you know do it do what you want you want to have the entire system be a read write go ahead here's how you do it i think the fact that they put all that out there is cool because it's a consumer device like they it's a tailored consumer experience and i think that they have taken the right approach with it for those that they also understand that are very, I don't like the term power user, but very tech, more technical and how they like to do things. I think it's a very nice balance that they found because you can sit there and stick within the Steam UI all you want and you know view it as totally as a console. Or like in your case or my case, oh, I want to install stuff from emulators to the heroic launcher or you know gog games or whatever and they're like okay here's flat hub you know and then they have all those tools available for you which i think is a nice touch and if you want to get really technical okay here's all the ways to totally unlock the system and i haven't unlocked anything the things that i have done to it which made it better for me i did activate the ssh service on it so i can ssh 
into it. And then using Dolphin, I can actually do all the file management from my laptop or desktop to make any changes to files or move things around or add stuff. So for instance, I have an SD card in there, which I could just put into my Commodore 1541 imposter thing that I made and and use my Commodore 64 imposter and manage the files that way. Or I can secure shell into it, add and remove things as I would like and organize files as I actually have done with it on my SD card very easily and seamlessly. And that's a really awesome feature to have for the Steam Deck as well. There are no consoles out there that I know of where I can manage its contents from my Linux desktop. This is the only one. That is a really awesome thing to have. After you mention that, I'm kind of wondering if next time there's an update to SteamOS, I wonder if enabling Secure Shell daemon service is going to be reverted or not, or if configuration files are held in a different location. That one I cannot tell you, honestly. But even if it is, how hard was it to enable? Not at all. Exactly. So even if they take that, those changes are nuked, people who are technical, I don't think you're really going to care because I'm assuming, are you on the stable branch for the OS updates and stuff? I'm assuming. I am, yes. They're fast, don't get me wrong. But if you're like on the beta branch and then if you're on the beta branch for the client, you get getting updates all the time. But the stable branches are far more, I don't want to say they're like a Microsoft, you know, update or patch Tuesday monthly kind of thing, but they're fairly consistent and fairly regular. So they don't nearly break as much as say the beta stuff would for that kind of right. stuff. The other thing that I think is really cool is RetroArch is an application you can just install within Steam. And it's already pre-configured to work with the Steam Deck very nicely. Like it's extremely nicely how well it works. So just pointing RetroArch that location on my SD card for all the different games that I have, all the different old things, having it index the files and everything else. Now I can very easily hop in to whatever old game that I want to play, you know, like Super Mario World or River City Ransom. I can even go to the Game Boy and play like Pokemon Red or some garbage like that, but I would never do that because I'm too old to play Pokemon Red. No, you're not. Don't lie. Don't lie. Okay. Okay, right. I actually have played it and maybe a little more than I like to admit. So I can go in and play it like, literally, I can just pick up my Steam Deck, which is a wonderful thing. I can sit on the couch or the recliner or whatever for like 15 minutes, hop into a game, play it a little bit, save the state, turn off the Steam Deck or, you know, put it in a slow power state, throw it back on charger, then go on with my day. I would say I'm playing more games now than I did before, but the time it takes from like startup, the overhead time of, of starting playing and then stopping playing is almost non-existent now because I have this device that just does it for me. It takes care of all the headache with playing games. It literally truly is a console and it's a great console. So I'm having one difficulty with the, the Steam Deck. The kids keep taking it and playing on it and it's my game. They've got the Nintendo Switches and they got the, the whatever that they can play, but they keep wanting to play the Steam Deck. That's all fine and dandy, but I discovered an issue with the Steam Deck as such. Because it is a powerful PC, it can multitask games. And so more times than I can count, they've had like four games running at once, kind of drill through the battery. It's really not a huge deal. But when you hear the music from multiple games playing at once, it's kind of funny. But the point is, it's so easy for the kids just to use and very intuitive for them that they really enjoy using it. And it's become a very popular system in the house. Although it's my system it's dad's system it's not your system i haven't been able to get that aspect through it's not actually a problem with quote unquote the steam deck it's a problem that the steam deck is readily accessible to the children so the children are the problem yes okay just want to totally make clarification on that <laughs> yeah the kids keep taking it and that's a problem so if it were a little, a little bit more difficult to use and less intuitive that would probably be better for the sake of my kids not using it that's kind of funny this thing works <laughs> so well and it's so easy to yeah. use that my kids keep taking it so if you guys would only make it just a little bit harder to use then maybe my kids would still and i'd be able to keep my toy exactly i'm not really <laughs> sure how to resolve that one i'll let you know if i can figure that one out dad doesn't like the chair <laughs> that actually might lean toward me putting open on there actually and i think about it because steam os is too easy to, for the kids to use this episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account, 
that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Belt Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com TUX to get started for free. If you're like me though, you want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project by signing up for that premium edition, especially since it starts at just $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. So while Nate is finding a new love with Arch, Wendy, you have found a new love to replace Instagram for you. I was on Instagram for a while, but because it was Facebook related, and as you guys all know, I'm not a fan of Facebook. We don't use Facebook in our house. I stopped using it, and I've kind of wanted to find something that still fits that vibe. I am on Mastodon, and it's kind of like the open source Twitter and this one, PixelFed, is like the open source Instagram. Really, really cool. I like the way that the UI is laid out. I'm just getting set up with a profile. So at the time of recording, there are no images on it. But I hope to have quite a few. So there will be a link in the show notes with my profile for that. But it's Really, really nice to see more and more social media platforms that are being launched that aren't tied to one company being able to control absolutely on it. You are in more control of the things that you're sharing, the data that you're putting out there. You can still share way too much, regardless or not, whether it's an open source platform, but it is really cool to see some of these different federated social media platforms growing, developing, and having really awesome resources and user interfaces. I think that's pretty cool. I haven't heard of PixelFed before. The question is, can you post something to PixelFed and then have it automatically linked to your Mastodon? Because that would be pretty cool. Kind of like Instagram and Twitter. I'm not sure. I'll have to play with that and see if you could do that. I hadn't heard of this before either. And thanks to some of the awesome people I follow on Mastodon. Chris is really awesome. He boosts a lot of different posts from different projects that are around on Mastodon. So that is how I found out about this other open source social media is from a boost that he did on Macedon. It's so awesome to be part of the community and the different people that are sharing things. Otherwise, I wouldn't know about this either. Which domain are you on now? I joined pixelfed.social, the original, okay. the main one. I suppose then you could probably roll your own if you really felt like managing your own server. Yeah, if I wanted to, there's one of these things called time and I seem to have a hard time doing that at this point. So rolling my own isn't something I'm going to be doing at least for a while, but I'm not going to say never. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. They even have links to other similar Fediverse software out there as well. Mastodon being their number one. Yeah, we can't get Matt on there, but you and I are on there. Tux Digital's on there. Some of the other shows are on there. If only we had Matt. Someday. He still stays with the dumpster fire that is Twitter. <laughs> I only follow like nerdy stuff on there, so I don't really get anything that makes me angry. Exactly. I legit. It's only stuff that really interests me I, i'm like nate i have muted so much dumb crap on twitter and it's not even funny so at this point it's literally some gaming stuff and some Linux stuff, and that's pretty much all I see. I mean, to be fair, you follow gaming stuff, and there's plenty of flipping drama when it comes to game stuff. Uh, no, because I don't follow the stupid... Got him! Woo! I cut myself there. No, I have siloed myself enough from the stuff that I do not want to see on Twitter that as far as it relates to gaming, where it's very much video game releases and video game announcements and that kind of stuff. And that's all I really follow on Twitter. I don't follow much in the way of personalities. I do follow a few individual gamers, but they're very... Hey, actually, Nate, you'll appreciate this one. Um, there's one called... can't remember the full handle, but it's Shattered Glass, I think, 25. They are 
totally about just plugging like retro games and it's like hey here's my favorite ps2 game for the week or this is the one i'm working on playing and that's all they do and they'll be like so what was your favorite ps2 game or you know this system game for that i'm totally fine with and those are the people Mm -hmm. i tend to engage with on twitter as opposed to a lot of the more gamer website focused things where a lot of the drama and that kind of stuff follows there's a few youtubers that i'll listen to and you know about gaming news and that kind of stuff a lot of the people that i follow on youtube report somewhat on the drama stuff but it's not what they corely focus on and they're more about hey video games are fun social is what you make of it it doesn't matter if it's you know masked on twitter youtube now facebook is yeah, that that's a whole different as when they put dumpster fire that i'm not gonna get into when it comes to social the reason i'm not on mastodon specifically is it's just one of those things where it's another account that i have to manage and handle and deal with and i'm like right. i'm on social I'm enough where it's just like i'm already here if you want to find me here i am if not that's your choice this is where i'm gonna be I get why it's not kosher with a lot of the open sourcey people. I understand that. But on the same note, there's a lot of open source people on Twitter, on Facebook. So take your pick. It's it's like pick your poison. And I did join Mastodon when it became like, oh, there's 100,000 Mastodon users or, you know, back, you know, four or five years ago. And at the time, I haven't used it since, so I can't really speak on it. And the reason I don't speak much on it is back then it was a dumpster fire. (laughs) Like just the user experience, like everything around it was a dumpster fire. So it kind of turned me off. I mean, to be fair, I still wouldn't let my kids currently use Mastodon because I've gone to the tab where you get to see like what everybody's been sharing. And there's definitely some non-child appropriate content that is regularly added to Mastodon. My kids don't have any social media accounts and they're definitely not getting a Mastodon account either. (laughs) Good call. The problem is there are just a lot of people out there that are, I don't know, I think gross Gross is the word I would use. Yes. Yes, there definitely are some gross people out there and some things you're like, well, I guess that's fine if you want to share it, but how are ways that I can limit some of the things that pop up in my feed, even in my feed where everybody shows up? Mastodon does have a thing where you can mark an image as sensitive, which is really, really nice. So just because you can tell that this thing from the description up above it isn't child appropriate. You don't necessarily see it unless you click on it to allow you to see whatever that is. But just for the overall safety of my children, there's part of the reason why I have a pie hole. None of them have social media accounts and they are very happy children without them. That's probably the best policy you could have. It also helps that we homeschool. So we don't have the pressure of them going to school and the other kids are like, yeah, what's your face? what's your blah 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 because inside of the circles that my kids go to are different co-op circles most of those kids don't have social media accounts either and it's not like my kids don't have access to the internet they can still stumble across some very inappropriate things on youtube there's no way to completely block them from that but i think social media in a whole can be a positive or an absolute dumpster fire where it's easier to come across some of those things and they can have that as an adult for the rest of their life they don't need it right now so they know that mom has some social media and kind of like you Matt I told my family when I left Facebook because that was an absolute horrible mess I was finding myself very unhappy on a regular basis from cruising through Facebook that I'm like it's for my sanity my time to let go of this you guys all have my phone number you can call me you can text me but I'm not on Facebook anymore. Yeah, generically, there's very limited reasons for me to use a Facebook account. Right. Those that refuse to contact me or they view Facebook Messenger as the way to contact me. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's some of those relationships that they're not going to change as far as like the way they communicate. Yeah. So it's just one of those, I hate the term necessary evil, but it kind of really is. (laughs) As much as I liked the more open nature of things like Craigslist and that kind of stuff, as far as the anonymous nature of it and just kind of the message board for all kind of mentality that it takes. Things like Facebook Marketplace, when it comes to more of a local granular nature, at least where I'm at in the country, is very much different than that particular service of like craigslist and stuff so it's one of those give and take it's like 
what you right. put out and what do you give. I have not given Facebook my phone number. Let me restructure this. They might have mm-hmm. it. I have not given it to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> like social is what you make of it, whatnot. So I get, and there are a lot of kind of terms of service kind of stuff. And like Ryan will focus a lot on the terms of service and that kind of stuff. And I get where he's coming right. from and why a lot of these services are bad. All I can say is, as it relates to Twitter is when Ryan still uses something, it's not as bad as the rest of the dumpster fire, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. It totally makes sense. And I get what you're saying on Craigslist. I think the only messages I've gotten, I haven't used it for a long time, is all spam related stuff. Though I do have a bunch of things in our decluttering that Facebook Marketplace in the past has been really good. So I did add a few things on there. But I have now gotten some of the same spam, like if mm-hmm. not worse, the people telling me, oh, I sent money to your PayPal. No, you don't. These are the multiple ways I get notifications for this. And no, you didn't. So yeah, I think anywhere you go, it can be that. And depending on the market of your area, I have had a hard time getting things to move and they're definitely not overpriced. So it's a positive and negative both ways. Yeah. Totally agree. As an example, I actually don't own a MacBook anymore. I will say that. Oh, you got rid of it, huh? I did get rid of it, but eBay is great for certain things. Unfortunately, eBay has also gotten to the point where, you know, you're taking 10% plus all the fees and all the other nonsense at this point that you're making it really hard for me to actually, then you add in shipping and all the other stuff. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) the price I'm looking for and the price you're actually at to find a result is very big discrepancy. I've sold some stuff on eBay like recently that were some of the video game stuff that I talked about. That's fine because I expect a certain, that's a very niche thing. A lot of it's a markup on that particular stuff because that's just stuff that's been sitting for me. But when I'm trying to sell like technology and it's say the price that you need is 200, well, technically the price you actually have to put on eBay is around probably like 250 in order to actually get it because then you have the 10% that eBay takes. Then you have all the fees and taxes and all the other stuff. So it's like, it's one of those weird things. Whereas I put it on Facebook Marketplace for the price I needed it. Somebody local pickup only and somebody came and got it and it was gone in two days. So it was like, okay, whatever. It's done in cash as opposed to there are perks to the PayPal and the electronic way of doing it. But on the same note, I also have cash in hand. So it's one of those like take your pick. Yeah. So for me, in that case, Facebook Marketplace or any of those, I wouldn't call them open markets, but more of the local markets. Where they're not taking a chunk of the profit or a chunk of the the sale. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So and those local focused markets, be it a Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or uh, Wayfair or any of those kind of sites are much more local focused that help when when it comes to kind of getting rid of some things yeah you have to really be willing to look at what you're willing to give up and that's really what it boils down to on social as a whole Mm -hmm. for me it's just like i should really give mastodon another try because i know you guys prefer it and use it but um for me it's just the fediverse it's never been a good use case for me for others it might be I might have to give it another try, but I've always heard, you know, decentralized and all the other stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, okay. When you can actually be usable, cool. Let me know. Right. And I think Mastodon for the most part is pretty usable for my mobile devices. I use Tusky, which has worked really, really well. And then you shared another application that you can use for uploading images to Mastodon, which is awesome. I need to go check that out and play with it. They're growing. They're getting better, I'd say. I still think it's definitely the future. A lot of it is it does take time to mature, and I will definitely agree with that. I think the big services like Facebook are probably on borrowed time at this point. I think they serve their purpose, if you want to call what they did a purpose. I think in the end, they're they're not going to hold out long-term. You know, people are soured by Facebook. People are soured by Instagram, and I think increasingly so. I think eventually, it's going to take some time, but I think eventually people are just not going to want to have to deal with those services anymore. And the ease of use of things like Mastodon and PixelFed and PeerTube or Odyssey Library or whatever. Right, yeah. I think those are likely going to displace the commercial offerings out there. I sure hope so. So now that we've had a totally side tangent. Yeah, it worked out good. Almost somewhat on topic. Uh, it's on topic-ish, kind of. Wendy, you read the sign for going to PixelFed and various other sites instead of Instagram. Nate, you actually got a new one? I did. When I moved into this place a year ago-ish, there was a sign-off. This was a business at one time in the back. And what was sitting there on two two two-by-six poles 
some particle board slapped on each side with some sort of a white fabric-ish tarp stuff with the address of the business. As I've been here, the fabric has come off a little bit. The particle board that it was holding on to is starting to let go, as particle board does, which is not meant for outdoor at all. So I decided I was going to replace it, and the intent was just to put like a black alley panel, which is a aluminum sandwich over some sort of a, a polymer, some sort of plastic. So it lasts a long time. So a buddy of mine who is in the sign business, a business called Sign Division, he said, yeah, I can get that for you. I said, well, what's the cost for it? He says, well, I can have it, someone cut it and everything for you to size. And I thought, okay, great. $100 and some change for the pieces I needed. And he was going to just kind of cut out of some vinyl, just the, the Cubicle Nate logo that I use and put it on there. And then some time later, he shows me, sends me some pictures on Telegram of what he did. He redesigned the logo a little bit. It's the same basic logo, but he added some depth to it. And instead of putting it on vinyl, slapping on the sign, he had some like put on these standoffs and, and basically really fancied it up. So it looks really nice. It's out there. Kind of a funny story. He Since he sells signs and, and so forth, like it's what he does. He's working on some vans right now, like vinyl, something wrapping the vans or whatever for business. Another business owner comes in and says, what is that? It's a sign for a buddy of mine. He says, but there's no name on it. He says, well, I guess you'll know if you need to know what it means. That's where he left it. <laughs> Because yeah, there's no label or anything. It's just the logo with the address and that's it. When I do have trucks come here or whatever for picking up or dropping off things, they know to look for just that. Kind of like the artist formerly known as, that's, that's what my sign is now. It's unique enough in its look that somebody that's looking for your place in order to pick something up or whatnot will definitely know it's you. Like there's no mistaking it for some other kind of business or establishment. Exactly. I mean, Wendy, all you got to do is look at Nate via photo and you're definitely totally right. There, You'll never forget <laughs> and totally understand that it's totally Nate. True. I have an unmistakable nose. Nate, you are just an unmistakable human being and I will leave it at that. <laughs> you are so sweet, Matt. Please accept my e-hug. No. <laughs> well, Matt, you may not accept my e-hug, but you've apparently accepted my request for enabling me for yet another game. So what is this game? Uh, this game is actually one that I played when I only made it 21 hours on the charity stream <laughs> <laughs> instead of the 24, which I will get into after I make this recommendation. So this is the signifier director's cut. This is a, I guess, walking simulator, but it's more of a detective walking simulator. It deals with memories and how people perceive stuff and the conscious and the subconscious and the, the reality and the subconscious kind of directive of your memories and that kind of stuff. It's a nice little probably five to eight hour game that has multiple kind of endings and how you interact with the memories and uh, how you end up constructing what information you gather from those memories. It's more of a relaxing game, but there's kind of a tech noir horror element to the game uh, and not so much like I'm not talking like Resident Evil kind of horror element, more of a subconscious kind of horror element to it so it's not very blood and gory kind of horror it's more oh that's kind of gross and you kind of horror to it it's got that cthulhu element so it's more psychological it's more perception horror as opposed to like in your face you know blood guts kind of horror that you would get on a lot of people's way of perceiving that it's a fun game it's like 20 bucks i think 20 30 bucks Usually, I'm not sure what it is right now. You're saying it's like the Blair Witch Project or whatever? Yeah, I was going to say it would be kind of like the Blair Witch Project game that came out. It's more that kind of horror element to it. Mm -hmm. But it does deal with some kind of like dark stuff as far as like memories and how we construct things and what makes people people. And there's a lot of interesting questions that it brings up in like human nature. And that that is the aspect that I like about it. The kind of like cyberpunk tech noir element is cool, but that's not like the driving factor. You will like the fact that there's kind of like this AI assistant that does help you in the game, Nate, but it's a self-constructed built one. And so you might appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> because it doesn't rely on very out there already kind of AI stuff. It's a self-built system for you to do. I would say if you're a story-focused person, it's not a bad game. I don't know if I'd pay full price for it, but if you can get it on sale, it's definitely worth getting. Very graphically nice too, by the way. Is it Steam Deck ready? Mm, 
don't know. I honestly don't know. I have not checked to see if Signifier is Steam Deck. I just see the Windows and Mac logos. I do know that it plays perfectly fine on Linux through Proton, so I can verify that aspect of it. The only issue that I ran into, and I'm not sure if this has been fixed on Experimental, the video that you would normally get and this is just a typical issue with some video encoding. It, like in the background, in the menu, when you bring up the game for the first time, you'll see like this weird, like kind of filtered image with a bunch of lines. They were almost kind of like the old Ubuntu upstart menu when you would log okay. in the Unity Greeter, where you would have the dots kind of throughout the background. If, if you know what I mean, like the background image had a bunch of dots through it. It was kind of like an aesthetic choice that Ubuntu made with the, the Unity Greeter. I always found it mad annoying personally, but that's kind of the image that you would get because it can't process the background video, right? So there is that, but you can still select the menu and change all of the settings. And that's the only thing I ran into personally, but Proton Experimental might fix that. Well, cool. I mean, you can always change those things whatever on a steam deck to make it work so if there was a demo oh there's a demo look at that yeah there's a demo well hot dog i might demo it on the old steam deck well because i can <laughs> so nate we can say that the steam deck's turning you into a more modern gamer mm. yes yes i think we definitely can you may still <laughs> play some older games on it but without a doubt the steam deck is making nate a more modern gamer hey wendy there's your title for the episode <laughs> Oh. Actually, I was thinking Nate Runs Arch was going to be the title, but... <laughs> Arch makes Nate a modern gamer. There you go. Oh, that's perfect. It'll be the episode with the lowest number of listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you title it, by the way, Nate Runs Arch, that in and of itself will... <laughs> mm, yes. But anyway, as far as the... <laughs> The results of the stream, we did not totally reach that $5,800 goal, but that's because I cut out three hours early because, you know, I was up for like 30 something hours at the point. I was like, I got to call it quits. So we're still going to play Among Us. <laughs> Yay. Uh, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to plan my Steam Deck. I got to get with everybody on the show, you know, here and with the rest of the network to figure out when we can do a community game stream night that works for everybody. And we will do nothing but play among us on that stream. That would be so awesome. That'll be a Game Sphere episode of for, you know, an hour or two. Well, I'd probably bash my head off the wall. It'll be my most favorite network day ever. The day that Matt finally begrudgingly played Among Us. Yes, I know. I've heard it for six months. It will be <laughs> fantastic. That is still up in the air as far as when. I got to talk to uh, Ryan and Michael and Jill to see when works for them and Brandon also. You know, pseudo show. I obviously deal with you guys, so I already know. <laughs> Anytime I say, hey, let's play Among Us, it's going to be when. What do you mean deal with us? <laughs> I mean, I got to deal with you, Nate. Like, Wendy's perfectly fine. I'd never rag on Wendy. I only rag on you, Michael, and Riot. If you notice, the ragging that I always give is those three. I never rag on Wendy or Jill. Mm, you know, I'm starting to notice a pattern here. Makes me wonder. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topic. Hit the discourse forums, drop us a line under this video, or use the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. You can also find great shows on the network like Hardware X Games, we like Salute and much more. You can show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome slag like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here or the new sinister Wendy swag. She's a lot more sinister than she gives. As always, we thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week with another awesome soda of Lennox Outland. Until then, keep the banner friendly, conversation somewhat on topic and have fun doing it. You're a lot more evil than you give off, Wendy. Watch it. I mean, what? Thank you.